Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome again to another edition of the Big Footy Bombers podcast for season 2021. I'm your host again for this evening, Bonser34, and I'm joined again by the man who is the power of our board, and that is the Grizz. How are you this evening, Grizz? <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. And you still like being called the power of the board? Uh, it doesn't sound like I've got much of a choice, but I'll take it. It's not the worst nickname. And we are, of course, joined, as I said last week, by our resident draft and recruiting guru in EDPS. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Got around to watching a few games uh, footy today, even though I couldn't go to them at Vic Country areas, but uh, good to still watch a bit of footy. Excellent. Well, we will come back and ask you a few questions about that shortly, but we will just quickly do a a review of of last night's game. Now, unfortunately, I think in the end, the margin was unflattering. I think we certainly deserve to be a lot closer than what we ended up being, especially after hitting the front early in that last quarter. EDPS, I'll go to you first, bro, just to get your thoughts. But I mean, I I looked at the game and went... That, that's probably why Richmond are the defending champs. You know, they, they, they hit us early and, and certainly the pace of the game seemed to surprise us early. We managed to stick with them, but then they just landed that knockout blow late and, and sort of yeah, showed why they are, are the champs and the benchmark for the comp. Yeah, I think I saw that they scored over 100 points from turnovers. So whenever, whenever any club makes a mistake against Richmond, they make you pay. Like They don't, they don't muck around. I don't think we would have seen too many uh, missed targets, especially going inside 50. They're just so efficient in that regard. So, um, I mean, you just have to bring your best. And we did at times. We didn't quite do it as well in that first quarter. Took a bit to get going. We are great with them from the second quarter till, you know, midway through the fourth. But you just got to capitalise on the opportunities. We had opportunities at a goal that went begging. I mean, that, that's just the big difference there. They're a well-drilled outfit. They've got a lot of players that have a lot of experience and finals experience. I mean, we've still got a very young group come through that have had no finals experience. So this game, even though it's a loss, it's going to teach these kids a lot. Yeah, Grizz, it did certainly seem late in the game that Richmond drew on that experience. I mean, they have had the big game experience that we've sort of been lacking. I mean, we do play relatively big home and away games, Anzac Day, etc. But that's nothing like what it turns turns into come finals time. So do you think that actually played a part? And, you know, what did you think about last night's game? Oh yeah, I think it, it. I think experience showed tellingly. I think what we saw was a comparison between a team that has won three of the last four flags. They know how they want to play. They're really structured up. They're disciplined in how uh, they stick to those structures. And, and from the start of the game, you could tell they knew exactly what they wanted to do. And you're probably right. In the first ten minutes, we didn't <laughs> show much resistance. But I think the experience and the knowledge and not letting the big game overwhelm them. Whereas I think we were sort of deer in the headlights to begin with a little bit and just didn't go with them. And we sort of adapted like EDPS alluded to from the second quarter, start of the second quarter to midway to the fourth. The game sort of hovered around that two or three goal margin and it sort of didn't move from there, showing that we were able to break even for the most part. But the game was sort of one in to the first 10 minutes where they got on top of us and that last 10 minutes where I think it's pretty clear that yeah, that experience shown through. They knew how they they knew they had us in terms of running power. We had lost McGrath and Thaharakis, and when they put their foot to the floor, we just couldn't go with them. And I think that comes with the experience. It comes with, you know, most of their players having five or six AFL preseasons under the belt, whereas we were a very young team. A lot of guys in their first, second, or third years, and that just sort of showed a little bit. I think they just knew what they wanted to do and took it away from us late. Although I think, ironically, our younger guys like Cox and, and Parrish and stuff probably you know, showed more than some of the senior guys late as well. Um, but, yeah, I think getting – I wasn't expecting to get in front the last quarter. I thought that 
was a really good effort, but I think that sort of spent most of our petrol tickets by that point. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll admit, I actually, uh, I was at a mate's place for the first three quarters and I actually started the, the drive home, it's about a 20 minute drive home, uh, just after three quarter time because I thought I'd seen enough and I thought Richmond would probably just going to keep us at arm length, arm's length like they had most of the night, but then obviously we hit the front and and I was carrying a like a pork chop in my car, but unfortunately, by the time I sort of got home, we'd uh, we, we'd fallen into a heap, and, and I managed to, to see Richmond kick the last three goals of the game, which which um, I probably shouldn't have turned on and just gone straight to bed. But I mean, I was I was certainly proud of the way they they played for, for most of the game. Um, I, for mine, I think the defining moment early was was when Guelphie got tackled. I, I think he got the ball and he stopped, he propped, he looked, and he probably had that time to process the options against you know Fremantle West Coast North Melbourne and I think he thought that's that he still had that time last night but Richmond are just a completely different beast were there any moments to you EDPS that stood out that where you thought geez we we just haven't come to play the way we had the last you know three weeks when we 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 managed to to win relatively comfortably or comprehensively I suppose I think it was in a few of those lapses in in concentration from a few players I thought uh, defensively, we weren't quite there. I mean, I mean, you lose Snelling, who's been one of their best players at that. You've got Andrew McGrath goes down early. He's another good defensive-minded mid. And just down back, just a few guys not quite doing what you need to do. I think uh, Phillips, on a few occasions, wasn't nailing those marks or killing the ball when he did go down back, whereas at the other side, it was Chol who was doing those things and just missing those opportunities at goal. I mean, we had quite a few late in that game to really nail it like Stringer with that uh, snap at goal that he just usually take a little bit more time to kick, but just didn't get it that time. But, I mean, you can't have a go at Stringer for too much. I mean, he's won so many games for us over the years. I mean, that's just one that he'd like again, but I'd expect him to uh, win us a, a, lot, a lot of games this year. I was just going to say, the perceived pressure that Richmond put you under is incredible. Like, the, they'll get you for the first three quarters, and then that last quarter where we've got the ball and we've actually got time, you wouldn't know it. They're just hacking the ball in the boot. Stringer's taking one less step than he would to kick that because they've just put you under the pressure for the whole game. And with Guelphie, he has a he's brave as they come, but he has some real lapses in awareness where he just doesn't understand the speed of the game going around him. And um, he had a couple of those moments. He had one in the third as well where it was just um, he just got nailed. He didn't even know the guy was coming, even though everyone around him was screaming at him. Yeah, no, and I was just going to say, um, EDPS, you obviously can't see me, but I was nodding along with everything you were saying then. And and something I actually read on our board, and I haven't fact-checked this at all, but I'm just going to accept that it's true, as everything on Big Footy is, is always true when it's posted. We averaged 10 tackles inside our forward 50 a game, and last night we only had two. Now, I actually raised probably three weeks ago that, that Snelling was actually leading that stat for us. So, so I think when you said that, you know, we lost a bit of pressure because we lost him, I, I think he was a huge loss last night. Now, he obviously wasn't the difference, but I, I think players like that are probably a little bit underrated. But Grizz, how did you see our defensive matchups? Because we did see Eth Dog's um, dream matchup of Francis on Martin a couple of times, which didn't really work. But, I mean, were you happy with how the, the defense lined up? I, I was surprised not to see Laverde sort of go to Rewalt more often than he did. Um, but, but how did you see it? Yeah, I thought with our defense, if you, they do a lot of handoffs. So they want to get Ridley zoning off to take intercept marks. So we do a lot of handovers. So it's hard to sort of get isolated one-on-one matchups. But I think whilst uh, a sort of makeshift defense with Stewart and Laverde stood up last month or so, I think 
playing Richmond was a different kettle of fish. I thought Francis did okay on Martin, um, as well as you can. I think when you're playing with someone like Dustin Martin, you've got to just understand that he'll probably get off the leash two or three times a match and make you pay from inside 50. But I thought Laverde did a decent job on Revolt on the times he was on him. But I think similar to what Ed PS was was saying before, in the sense of Richmond were just streaming through the middle and the efficiency going inside 50 was really good. Now, I'm not sure our defenders could do much with some of the entries coming inside 50. And the, that partly was also coming off half-back, I think. We've had two players inside the top 10 for tackles inside 50 this year, one being Snelling and one being Waller. We are missing Snelling and Waller was on one leg for half the match. So I think it was pretty telling. We just couldn't put any pressure on Richmond. Richmond coming outside defensive 50 and I don't know for whatever reason our structure wasn't many up throughout the ground so our defenders were isolated one-on-one a lot and when you're playing against guys like Bolton and, and Martin Revolts regardless of who you have on them um I thought Redmond did all right I thought um Ridley did okay on Martin at times but um yeah I, I was surprised we didn't send Loverty to Martin at times I thought um, I thought it was a good matchup for him but overall uh, there wasn't a lot I think our defense could do at times with the way Richmond was moving the ball and I think EDPS, we also saw, I suppose, a different side of Rutten than we've probably seen this year. I mean, so far, apart from the Port Adelaide game and, and, and maybe even the Brisbane game to an extent, we, we, we have actually had a fair bit go our way. So he hasn't really had to change much up, but no Snelling. And as Grizz just said, Waller was on one leg last night. So he actually threw Hind forward, which was a surprise move to me. Um, it's not probably not a move I would have made, but it, it didn't go too bad I suppose but but how did you see Truck last night I mean I think we saw him throw a few players around and I, I thought you know it wasn't a bad idea to maybe see a plan B and it certainly got us back into the game yeah I thought the uh the hind move worked pretty well I mean because of McGrath going down that put Ambrose up forward and that just left us really top heavy in that forward half so adding Nick Hine with a bit of speed and a bit of dynamic movement through there I think not only does it show that he can play that role but it also shows we probably do need more players that are capable of that up forward we can't keep relying on Stringer and Tip Moody to really provide that spark inside 50 I mean Perkins can do it as well but he's still young so that's probably one area that we could probably look to to look at at the draft so someone who can add a bit of speed and excitement up forward I mean We've got Ned Carl coming through, who's not exactly a quick player, but an efficient forward. I mean, Snelling, he offers that really good tackling pressure, but uh, he's not quite the quickest either. So, I mean, you look at some of the best forward lines. I mean, even you look at Richmond and Shea Bolton was that classic example of a player that can really turn the game on with his speed. So we definitely need to find another player like that. But in terms of Rutten's uh, changes and all that, I think that's one of the positives about our squad is we do have a lot of players that can play in numerous positions. I mean, if he wanted to, he could have swapped Hooker, Stewart, Laverde, Ambrose, any of those around if he really wanted to. And you've got guys like uh, Guelphie as well who didn't have a good night, but he still has the ability to play back. He can play forward. He can play on a wing. Even Langford who can play in all these type positions. So he's got a lot of it at his disposal, even Nick Cox, who got to go into the ruck. So that even might be a strategy that we've used, that we're going to be looking for players who can play multiple positions. I mean, the mid-season pick, we picked that Sam uh, Durham, who, who can play wing, half-back, half-forward. It's a really important thing to have in your arsenal. I can see you're getting really excited about, about starting to talk about the draft and entering into your wheelhouse. And we'll get there very, very shortly. I'll just swing to Grizz for one final talk about last night's game. So so we have sort of talked about maybe what went wrong. I mean, what went right last night was, is something we need to, to just quickly touch on as well. And I'll get you to do that for us, Grizz, because we, obviously we had Merritt, Parrish, Langford, Cox, who 
fingers crossed, should get a rising star, but we'll see. They were all exceptional again last night. But, but I mean, outside of that, who else do you think really stood up for us last night? Yeah, well, Colgs doesn't get the rising star nom this week. The Neds were a Royal Commission. Uh, it, it's quite remarkable what he's done. Yeah, I thought those those four, Cox, Parrish, Merritt and Langford, um, were probably our best. I thought Stringer had some good moments. I think Hooker kicked three, which is remarkable. I can't remember the three goals he kicked, but he seems to be doing that most weeks, which is good, and he's providing a, a big body up forward for us. Yeah, again, I mentioned before, I thought Redmond was pretty good. He was pretty composed in defence, and so was Ridley. I thought Perkins had a really slow first half, but he really came into it in the third, and I think with McGrath going down, hopefully we might see someone like Perkins get rolled through the middle a bit more. But, yeah, I think just overall as well, the fact that we didn't just give up in that last quarter, we didn't roll over, we... Well, we, we ran out of legs in the last 10 minutes, but the fight to get ahead in the last 12 minutes showed that when we're on and we're switched on and we're putting the effort in, we can mix it with anyone. So I thought that was really promising. Again, I think Phillips probably got beaten in the first half by Chell, but I think, again, he worked into it more into the second half. But, yeah, probably those four guys and maybe um, a couple of special efforts around the ground. I thought Hind as well, like you touched on earlier, was good when he went forward. And he kicked four goals in the game for St Kilda, so he has it in him. But um, we probably needed him down on halfback to give us some speed off there. So hopefully we can bring someone in for that position. So EDPS, we will turn our attention to the mid-season draft. I'll, I'll just ask for your general thoughts to start with, mate. I mean, I, you've already sort of mentioned our pickup in Durham, but from what I read, and I'll admit, I'm, I'm not an avid draft watcher. Um, I, I certainly don't read all the threads. I, I tend to come draft and probably read read uh, your picks for Essendon and, and then move on for the rest. But Jacob Edwards seemed to be, to me, the consensus number one pick. Is, is that what you thought? Did the draft play out sort of how you expected, or were there a few surprises along the way? Yeah, I didn't really make too many predictions in terms of the mid-season draft because even though there are a few names brought up a lot of clubs aren't going to give away their strategy in such a low pick sort of draft I mean there was not a single uh, media outlet that linked Durham to Essendon so I mean a lot of of these clubs try and keep it under wraps and a lot of the media as well just try and speculate who they would take but Jacob Edwards at one I think was pretty obvious I mean he was an absolute star in the first half of this year I mean I went to one game that he played in school football. I think he had the 27 touches and three goals. So, I mean, he's doing that as a young developing Ruckman. Like, he's still got his best footy years and years to come. If there was no mid-season draft, he probably would have gone top 20. So, like, North Melbourne have really won the lottery on that in that regard. Yeah, I think North Melbourne's uh, going to need a lot to win a lot more lotteries in the next few years to be able to do all right. Grizz, did you pay much attention outside of our pick for the mid-season draft? Was there anyone there, I suppose, that surprised you the clubs picked up? Or, or much like me, were you a bit more of a uh, a casual observer of, of the draft time? No, I did a bit of research into it when I found out we had a second pick because I thought, oh, here we go, might be able to pick up a couple of guys here. I'm surprised Callow went in the second round. It, there were a lot of people saying that he was being chased in the first few picks. So for him to go the second round to Hawthorne was interesting. I don't know much about Sam Durham, so I might need uh, EDPS to enlighten us a little bit if he can. But I thought Ash Johnson to Collingwood was interesting. I think another mid-sized X-Factor forward isn't what they needed. They probably needed a Jackson Callow or 
someone like a Ned Moy or a, a bigger player um, that can give them some structure. But a, a bit like EDP said, it seemed really random. It, it's pretty clear that clubs had very, very, very different draft boards and probably not very big draft boards. I mean, I think we ended up passing on our second pick. So clearly, whoever you know we, we were contemplating drafted, they're all gone by our second pick. Oh, I'm a bit like you. I only really paid attention to the people we were linked to, but ended up not being worth much considering that I'd no idea who Sam Durham was, but I sort of would have liked to have gotten Callow, but at this point, seeing how little I know about them, I'll, I'll trust the recruiting staff that they've got a good one there. But yeah, just not to hijack the podcast. EDPS, what do you know about Sam Durham? Um, can you enlighten people like me who have no idea who he is? Yeah, so Sam Durham back in 2019 was his first year playing Nap League footy. So they kind of got him from a cricket and basketball background. So he's a really good athlete. So I think he tested well for his vertical leap and for his uh, running capacity. He was very light on, very light bodied, kind of played wing and half back. He wasn't a really big ball winner back in 2019, so that was probably one of the areas I really wanted to see him improve. Same with his size, because the contested side wasn't quite there because he was so light. But I managed to get a little bit of vision of him playing for Richmond VFL this year, and it just looks like he's come on leaps and bounds, and which is why we definitely wanted to take him. I mean, he's put on a bit of strength. Uh, he's definitely looks a bit more confident, and he just looks like he's going to bring that blue-collar style that Ben Rutten really wants to someone who will have a dip, but also has those athletic qualities, which... You really do need in this draft and as we've seen with some of the players go down we definitely need some help in that midfield brigade and although he's not going to be someone in the guts per se probably more so on a wing he's still going to be much needed depth for the next few years because i think that midfield's definitely one we all need to target i'll also just ask edps just about the eligibility of players in this draft so so i actually read that a couple of the wa boys had to had to get permission from their clubs to now play for the the Eagles in the waffle this weekend. If the VFL had played this week, would Durham have been able to play for us? And, and also, I just want to touch on what was probably the controversial story of the, the mid-season draft that I saw, and that was John Newcomb and he's nominating his draft terms that seemed like, I think Sydney were upset because it seemed like he was trying to get the Hawthorne. Do recruiters or, or draft watchers such as yourself do you pay attention to any of that that noise in the media around that sort of stuff, or do you focus purely on what the player can do, you know, on field and, and, and I suppose his off field attitudes as well, which which does come into the contract a little bit, but it, it's not really something that you know. You, you, just because he wants to go to a certain club is, is not probably a reason to not pick him, I suppose. Sometimes it does come into some clubs thinking because if a player doesn't want to go to their club, they just won't won't pick him a lot of the time because they're just going to want to leave. With a high pick in a national draft, you'd maybe take the chance that turn him good because they are such a good player. But if you're in the mid-season draft and you interview that player and that player doesn't want to go to you, it's not really worth your trouble. And I mean, the Newcomb pick was an interesting one in terms of the, the contract size. So obviously... You know, Sam Mitchell in that VFL lineup was pretty adamant that Newcomb's going to be a really good player and did what he could to have Hawthorne pick him. But the problem was a lot of other clubs really liked Newcomb, so they couldn't use the long-term deal as something to keep clubs away from him so they could pick him with their second pick. That was just not going to happen. Just around the eligibility of, of players, so so there was a couple of uh, WA boys who had to get permission from the Waffle to jump to the Eagles this weekend. And would would Durham have faced a similar problem in the VFL jumping from Richmond to Essendon if we'd been able to play this week? Uh, no, I don't think I think so. I think he would have just been able to play just just as normal. I'm pretty sure that's what we were able to do when we got Will Snelling back in 2019. So. 
the issues may have come about because of the whole you know, the COVID situation we're having right now. But if it wasn't there, I don't think it'd be too much of an issue. So because we passed on our second pick, was that something that surprised you? I mean, were there any of those BD sort of forwards that you talked about that, that we certainly do need now, the mosquitoes on indefinite leave? So were there any there that we possibly could have picked with that second pick that we passed on? Yeah, so one of the players that was linked to us, whether we actually wanted to take one or not, was this kid called Max Peskett who plays for the Gold Coast Academy. I mean, he's definitely one of those players that has a bit of spark about him, a bit of speed, doesn't mind his own confidence. He's really got a lot of self-confidence and can really probably rub a lot of opposition the wrong way. So uh, he even looked like a type of player that Richmond would want to go for as well. But I think the main thing that they wanted to do was just see who on their high board was going to be available. Like, obviously, the player that they wanted wasn't there, so they just decided... Nah, we'll, we'll uh, keep the pick under wraps. I mean, that pick could be used to upgrade a rookie if we need to. And it's also just another delisting you'll have to do at the end of the year. So maybe we don't want to go too far down that route. Was there anyone that you were hoping we might have a sniff at that you might, a, a secret sort of little smoke you had that you were hoping you had a link to that you thought could have made an influence on this group in the second half of the year? Like, for example, I was sort of hoping that we might give Sam Lawson a go from Coburg because he's very much that small, speedy forward um, you were alluding to, and, and he's sort of been playing well in the VFL for a while. But was there anyone that you were sort of thinking would be a good fit for us or that you were hoping we're having a look at? Well, yeah, in terms of that dynamic top of forward or midfielder, I mean, the ones that the Richmond took, Matthew Parker was probably the type that I really would have looked at as well, just with his ability to really uh, break open a game. I mean, the week before in the Waffle, he had 25 touches and four goals. So he definitely come with some good form under his belt. I mean, I touched on Max Peskett before. I wouldn't say there has been too many. Maybe Corey Preston as well from the Essen Rangers, another one we will link to. He's another good small forward. But for the most part, I don't think there's been that many good small forwards to really pick from, from what I saw. I think most of the ones I would have gone for are midfielders with uh, a little bit about them, but a bit of size. And there was Xavier Marr, uh, Liam Conway. You had uh, Charlie McKay, the the father-son prospect for Carlton. He's another one I really liked. But I think to find that those really dynamic players, I think we'll just have to find them at the end of the year for the national draft. Uh, EDPS, I was just going to ask. So obviously this year, again, we're impacted by COVID. How how hard is it for you to only be able to at the moment watch watch play watch games? I suppose I mean, are you watching them on your laptop or because you obviously can't get to the games that are in the country at the moment? Is that making your job incredibly difficult, or or is you know being able to watch it remotely still an acceptable way to do things? I mean, doing it on my iPad at the moment, it can be unreliable, especially with the the NAB League because it's not run the same way, and some of the games haven't been running too well with the live streams. I mean, I got to do some games early in the year for as for commentary for some of these games and they're not even being put up live, so I can't even uh, see those games anymore, which makes it kind of hard, especially for these NAB League kids that I want to see a bit more of. That's why I tried to really get to as much live football as I can uh, while I was down here. I got to a lot of school games, a lot of, uh, of the, yeah, the NAB League games. I mean, the, the vision that you can get online is good. Like, it's certainly better than nothing, but... I still think watching players live is is easily the best way to get a, a feel for what it is. I think the online stuff is to help just pick on what you may have missed or because just about every single game that is live uh, that, that you'd watch online, there will be people who are watching it live at that ground. So it's always good to, to have both if you need to, but getting to live games is just so, so important. How's your draft board looking at the moment? 
EDPS. Obviously, we're, we're halfway through the year and we haven't played national championships yet. So there's probably a lot to, to happen between now and whenever the draft is in November. But how's it looking at the moment? Do you have an idea of what you know the top 10 or top 20 might look like? And what would you say is probably the, with that rider about a lot to go yet? Um, what's probably the deepest sort of group or, or position in this draft, do you reckon? Yes, yeah, so I haven't stressed too hard about my ranking so far because I feel that the national championships will be what really separates them at the moment, uh, especially with uh, the Victorians that have missed a lot of football and haven't quite come on as expected. Right at this stage, I think there's a clear top two, and that is Jason Horn and Nick Dacos. Uh, there's a lot of other good players that are not far behind them. Well, probably a little bit far, but you know they're still first-round top 10 prospects. But the national championships will be the way to really separate how they are because I can only watch vision online of the WA and SA clubs, for example, against each other but you don't really know how good they will be playing against the other state's best players so my board at the moment with the top 20 it it could change so so easily and there's another band of another 20 players that they have a good game in the national championships they could quickly come into the top 20 as well the other problem i've had so far this year as well is i haven't had as much access to to testing data and to the heights and weights of a lot of these players i mean seeing how how they grow as well is another important part in projecting how how they'll go so all that data will hopefully come later in the year but it's just going to be really really tough to get a good gauge on it right now and who we could look at but i mean there are a few names that i do like at the moment that could be around our range but it's a tough one to say right now which position i I think Chris just asked before which position do you think this draft is is particularly strong or is it still too early to be able to say okay this is this is a ruckman this is a ruckman's draft this is a forwards draft this is a, a a draft for midfielders type thing i'd say it's uh, pretty good all over the board i wouldn't say there's one particular position that really sticks out i mean i mean the midfield in most years is always good i mean you got horn and dacos who are good midfielders if i go through my top 10 i think just about all of them are midfielders except for josh Gibkiss, who's a key defender so it's probably definitely leaning more to a midfield heavy draft but that's not to say that it may not change as the year goes on. There might be a few tools that really come up. I mean, there are a few good halfbacks or utilities that could be around there as well. So I'd probably lean to midfielders, just in an overall sense, a lot of other types of midfielders. There's not just, you know, a heap of tall midfielders, a heap of small midfielders. They're just all kind of all over the shop at the moment. But I'd say the rucks are probably a little bit, little bit on the lower end and maybe the dominant key defenders. But um, apart from that, like, the, the tools you can't really tell until you see them go head-to-head against each other at the national championships as well. That will help even separate those uh, in a sense. So you sort of touched on before with the Victorian kid. Are you finding that the, the Victorian pool of talent is at all deeper this year, considering the amount of guys who obviously didn't play last year and might not have been drafted? Or like you sort of alluded before, they've sort of not come on how you, you'd like. Have you seen that? Um, with so many got with COVID last year, meaning so many guys might not have got drafted. That that's affected the Victorian stocks this year, or is it all pretty much the same as it is most years? I think it's definitely affected them having that year off. I mean, the under sixteen championships in twenty nineteen, Vic Metro absolutely dominated the whole field. They they beat country, they beat South Australia, they beat Western Australia with with rel- relative ease, really. But the, the players that, re, the, that really stuck out then haven't quite come on as, as much. Like their input's been a bit lower. It doesn't look like a lot of them are as fit as they have been most years as well. Just a few players that may, may have gotten a little bit complacent as well. 
mean, a player that who won the best player for the whole championships and Josh Rochelle, some saying he would have been a top three pick, but now, I mean, he could even go outside the top 10 just based off his first few weeks. Even though he's been hitting the scoreboard, uh, it just doesn't look like he's really applied himself fitness-wise and it's kind of brought him down the pack a little bit. So it might just be that he's, you know, waiting for the championships. He knows he's good, but until we see that, it leaves a bit to be desired. But, um, yeah, it's... It's unfortunate because a lot of these kids, like a lot of recruiters that I saw when I was watching one of the under-16 trials in 2019, they were ecstatic about what they'd seen from some of these players like Tyler Sonzi and uh, Josh Sin. Like some of these players were just showing real, real elite talent. And that's why I really liked what was going to be coming into this year's draft. But so far, just they just haven't quite come on. So I'm hoping as the year goes on, they get more football under their belt. I mean, the current lockdown really hasn't helped at all, but you can only be hopeful. I will just quickly swing to an Eston focus, and, and don't worry, don't worry, mate. I'm not about to ask, ask you to give us a tip on who we're going to pick at the end of the year because it'd be throwing dra- uh, darts at a, a dartboard at the moment. But I will just ask: Do we have any father sons coming through in this year's draft? And the big question it was one that we touched on the podcast last week: the Davy twins the following year. How good are they going to be this early out? And are they going? Are we going to have to spend a lot of draft capital to pick them up the following year? Starting with the the father-sons we could have for this year, we've got Josh Mercedi, the uh, son of Joe Mercedi. He hasn't had the best start to the year. I mean, he's a great kid. He's a good size, but just ha- hasn't quite come on. You've got Nawi Moore, who's the uh, son of Nathan Lovett-Murray. He played today and showed some really nice signs, but he's still coming from a little bit of a ways back, but he has good athleticism. You've also got Tex Wanganeen, the son of Gavin, who's schooling with the Davy twins and will very likely play with them later in the year at Xavier College and at Ugly Chargers. It's hard to say on his development because he did hurt his foot, if I recall correctly, when he trained with us at the start of the year. And uh, Alex Hurd, who hasn't played any NAB League footy, so it's hard to say with him. But, I mean, the Davy twins, now those two are very exciting prospects. I mean, I haven't seen Jaden play live yet, but I have seen Alwyn Jr. play, and he's an absolute star. I mean, both of them look like genuine draft chances. I mean, there's no, it's not just from a hyping what we've heard. Like they genuinely have the runs on the board. I mean, Jaden in his first game from an ACLs kicked four goals in, for Xavier College. I mean, I don't know if you all saw some of the footage that was going on on Twitter of uh, Alwyn Jr.'s lovely run on the wing and Jaden Davies' incredible goal kicking on his left foot. It's going to be hard to say where they actually go in the draft next year because there is such a, a long way to play out, but they're both really, really exciting players. Do you think, even though it is a fair way out, do you think uh, we will be looking to maybe move on our first-round draft pick for next year in this year's trade period? purely because we know that the Davy Twins are coming through next year, similar to, you know, I mean, Collingwood did it. They moved their pick on because of Dacos, obviously, for this year. Western Bulldogs moved their pick on last year because of Jamar Hagen coming in at pick one. Do you think we'll probably look to trade that pick or or you think maybe because there's going to be two of them, we'll need to hold on to it to be able to maybe have the points? Uh, I see us being a bit more like what Swans did with their pick. I mean, they made sure to have, they have a pick before their bid's on, Campbell and Goulden to take Logan McDonald. I mean, that the with uh, Jamara Hugo Hagen and Nick Dacos, both uh, clubs were really confident they'd be top three picks. So they were never going to have a pick that would going to be before those bids anyway. Whereas with the Davy boys, I'd still say they're not going to be top 10 prospects, maybe first rounders, but it's so hard to predict how we'll go next year. Although we're looking like we're improving, I definitely wouldn't get rid of a, a first round pick early. 
maybe at the end of that year if we're kind of confident on where the Davy boys will go. But doing it a year out, I think, would be really dangerous. I, I definitely wouldn't do that. We've got to be careful tempering our expectation next year because I'm sure EDPS could attest this. Development is never linear. Like, you never just get gradually better every year. Um, you see teams like uh, Richmond and, for example, before their, their recent run of success, they had three straight elimination files and they got out of the finals completely in 2016, got touched up by 120 points by the Sydney. Then next year, they come back and win the flag. So to expect that we'll definitely be better next year than we are now is probably a big assumption. And so I think holding on to that pick is more valuable because even if it turns out that the one of the twins turned into a top five prospect, trading that pick next year will be more valuable than what we'll get for it this year in terms of a trade because there's uncertainty about where it will fit. But future pick aside, what, uh, this is probably a question to both of you, Bonser and ED, EDPS. Thinking about recruitment at the end of this year, we've obviously got the draft, but what sort of positions and what sort of depth do you think we need as a club going forward? So, for example, I think we're probably at least a midfielder short, uh, one, at least one or two midfielders short. We're probably short another halfback, like speedy offense, uh, sorry, a uh, speedy sort of defensive lockdown small defender and we're probably short a small forward but where do you guys both see the holes on our list and, and how do you do you think you see anyone out of contract or a free agent available that you think would fill that hole so for example if i'm agent adora i'm going hard for george hewitt as a free agent from sydney you know big size defensive minded midfielder they can do the tough stuff and we could get him for free considering Sydney might have a bit of a cat crunch at the end of this year and having a lot of midfielders coming up to be resigned. But what about you guys? What do you guys think is the holes we need? What do you think are the holes we need to fill and how would you go about filling them? Midfielders, I think, are the the, the biggest one for me. Uh, compared to a lot of the top clubs, our midfield depth is not not even close. I mean, the, the most recent VFL game we had, I mean, we had what, Ned Cahill playing in there and I think he was the only one from our actual list that was playing in there and that's just... It's just not enough. So we need midfield depth. We need it either in the youth or as mature mature age players. I mean, Hewitt's not a bad shout in that in that regard. With the draft as well, and going for for midfielders, probably even look for midfielders that could potentially play a half back or half forward role. Picking one with speed, I think, is the most important. I mean, leg speed is just such an important um, element in in the modern game. I mean, it's what separates some of the best forwards. It's what separates some of the best defenders. You've got to have a player that can go with your cosy pickets in the future. You need players that can shut down some of those types. We, we have the, the tools there ready to go. We have a lot of youth there that's, that's really good. I think the tall stocks are absolutely perfect. The ruck stocks, I think, are fine. Uh, we've got the Davy Twins coming next year, so that might be the small forwards we can cover for that type of a thing. So... I think midfielders, 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 and hopefully ones that can play a range of roles. Yeah, look, I, I was going to say midfielders and, and also maybe small forwards, but but I, I think you do allude to the fact we do have the Davy Twins coming the following year, and I actually have seen some of their highlights on, on Twitter that you mentioned earlier, and I'm very, very, very hopeful that they will be our answer to our small forward problems, but obviously we don't want to put too much pressure on the boys just quite yet. So, yeah, look, I, I think midfielders is definitely the issue. I, I still think we are probably, I'm not sure if we're a key back short. I think we're definitely that medium defender short. I think Prosecutor has mentioned it a few times on this on this podcast that, w- that we do sort of lack in that area because because Ridley can play it but we don't really want Ridley playing the lockdown role because he's so good with ball in hand so I'd certainly hope midfielders and maybe a, de- a defender is, is on our radar in terms of how to fill that void 
I I definitely hope that we do it via the draft. It would be great if say if if for example Josh Dunkley is available. It would be great to get him, but I don't want to be dra- I don't want to be trading away our, our picks and putting all our eggs in one basket. We have had, I think, a we have done this before. I mean, we did it with Shield. We traded two picks. Now Shield has been fine and he's been good. Has he been worth two for, worth what we paid for him? Possibly not. And I don't think we're at that stage where we can draft or trade for the final piece. So I, I certainly hope we go through the draft rather than, than trading. If there's a free agent available, then absolutely, because they obviously cost us nothing. But yeah, I mean, I, I'd certainly be hoping we go go to the draft to fill any voids on our list. I'll just come back to you, um, EDPS, just with a general question about about recruitment and, and how the AFL clubs do it. So we'll use Adrian Dodoro because obviously he's the one that we all know and all our listeners know. How many games interstate would he go to during during a, a year, taking COVID out of it because COVID's completely stuffed everything? Does Adrian spend... Most weekends on a plane or, or half the season on a plane going going to the Watford, the Stanford, the old NEAFL, which is now obviously the VFL to watch the youngsters. Or does he stay purely based in Melbourne and he has blokes that he has, you know, he has recruiters and he has staff in, in each state to look at these players? I think these days it's mostly um, Rob Forster Knight who, who would be going to those uh, interstate games to have a look. And if Adrian Dodoro was to go look at some players, it would be players that he really feels strongly about taking. So he'd more likely probably wait later in the year when he knows what the draft hand is looking like and what players will be available. I mean, I've I've seen both uh, at games so, so many times. Uh, I haven't seen Adrian Dodoro as, as as much games as he used to be. I mean, he used to go to a lot of games, but now I'm not seeing him as at as much and yeah i'd say just that they just go to adrian would just go to games that he feels that strongly that that player is going to get taken by that club but 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 even then it's also there just to you know get get a sense from the uh the coaches from that from that particular player he'd probably more so go over there to interview the players that he likes more so than go to watch to really get a grasp of them, he'd probably already know that he likes them. So do clubs have staff in every state? I mean, that might seem like a silly question, but do they have people on their payroll in every single state to watch all the all the youngsters coming through? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that, they'd have at least one one person there that they can get to not only watch the games, but um, ask a lot of questions from from coaches and from from family members as well to try and get as much information as they can. I mean, like I said before, the vision is good that you can that you can use it, but you need to know a lot more than just the vision. You need to know the circumstances as to why they play poorly or not poorly. You need to ask questions of the coaches. You need to be there to witness any other off-field things that could happen. So it is really important to have a lot of hands on deck all over the States. And look, I just have one final question for you, mate, before we wrap it up. Um, but Grizz, after, after we've done this, mate, feel free to throw in any final thoughts you have as well. But Tim Kelly was obviously the mature recruit that the, all clubs dream of. He, he came out of the blocks and he starred for Geelong and he was a dominant midfielder from, from day one. Do you think there is now a switch from clubs to look more towards some mature... I mean... As a, as a person, as I said earlier, someone who doesn't really pay attention to a lot of the draft until it's draft night, to me it feels like there's been more mature age players picked in recent years. Is there a trend now amongst clubs to look towards these mature ages? I mean, in the late 2000s, early 2000s, late 2000s, it certainly felt like clubs were going youth, 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 and, and mature age players, if you didn't get picked up 
by the time you were 21, you, you were basically cooked. Is there now more of a focus on mature age from the clubs or is it still very much a, a youth draft-based strategy that they're employing? I think it's mostly from the the state of recruitment's just improved so much from back then. I mean, there's more staff, there's more that goes into what they do and more vision, there's more people they can hire. There's just so many other avenues that they can look at now that they can see that, hey, these players, these pick uh, Marlon Pickett's, these um, Tim Kelly's, they're just coming in and just starring once they come to AFL level. Those type of players may not have got that opportunity just because there just hasn't been enough people to watch them and, and do the research. So now that that opportunity is there, that's why you're seeing so much more mature age players coming in and playing well. I mean, Tom Stewart, another great example. I mean, clubs are identifying these guys. They're, they're even getting out to these local football games. I mean, these amateur games, these school games. There's just so many different variety of places they can go to really get the best players for their club, get them in their VFL and then bring them up. So I'd say it's got a lot to do with just the whole landscape of recruiting just improving out of sight. Yeah, and I wonder also if it's got something to do with they've got two extra teams in the competition since 2010, which means there's roughly 80 more players in the AFL and... All that to say, I wonder if it's got something to do with talent pool. Maybe the guy that you take at pick 60 in 2008 might be far more talented than the guy you'll find at pick 60. It's just because the talent's a bit thinner. So at least if you go with a state or a mature age player, you've probably got more of a handle on what they're going to be at senior level than that sort of speculative pick late in a draft. I think you still see the majority of first, second and third rounders be these 18-year-olds, with the exceptional, obviously, sort of Tim Kelly thrown in there for good measure. But... Um, I think, you know, since I think the talent pool sort of thinned out a bit with some extra teams. And so I just wonder if senior uh, sort of more mature talent in VFL just gives recruiters trying to find that player 32 to 40 on their list a bit more surety about the role they can play. And so those guys are getting picked up a bit more. But yeah, I think like EDFBS said, there's just so much more maturity about recruiting nowadays, knowing that some guys just bloom late. Like we, we picked up a guy who's, only 20 now in Sam Durham and two years ago he was probably far more speculative but just a couple of years in the system and you have a much better grasp of what he's going to be so yeah I don't mind picking up mature age players and I think they're great for picking up um, and filling holes in your list like Nick Hind was picked up as a 26 year old and he's adapted you know, to the AFL life pretty quickly and I think they're great for filling really specific holes in your list I think that's where the maturities come in list management yeah yeah look and I think You've actually probably nailed a really good point there, Chris, in, in that with the two extra teams, the talent pool probably did get a little bit shallower, so they were forced to turn to other avenues, which may have led to a more, more uh, recruiting of mature players alongside the maturity in recruiting that, that the EDPS has mentioned. But unfortunately, lads, we don't actually get to do Bonser's quiz this week because we are running very long, and, and Beerfish is, is probably wanting to kill me right now for letting it run so long. But um, EDPS, you were giving us quite uh, some interesting insights, so, so we have run a little bit longer than normal just because uh, what you were saying was, was fascinating. Well, it was to me anyway, so I hope it was to everybody else. But thanks for coming on tonight, mate. It's been great, and hopefully we'll get you back on later in the year when, when the draft hand of the draft uh, quality is, is a little bit more uh, firmer, a little bit more surety around it, and then, and then we'll get you back in to, to give us a, some insights into what you think we'll pick up later in the year. Yeah, it's been um, great to chat to you, fellas. I'd love to come on again. Uh, it's been a good night.
And Grizz, as always, mate, it's been great. And uh, thank you again for jumping on this evening. Uh, no worries. Thanks for having me. So that will wrap us up for the, the this this version of our podcast. Now, next week, obviously, we do have the buy. So next week's podcast will be a little bit different. We'll probably we'll be doing a, a bit more of a season review than a review of a game. And I will be joined by two of our board's most favourite posters in Dero and Jamu. So I look forward to doing that. But thank you once again for listening. And I will see you again next week.